All right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 3. We're going to read the entire uh, chapter this morning in preparation for our study. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the, t the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at, at us? As through our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your, your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and to your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your sin. Well, as we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study this morning in the book of Acts, we want to remember that this book records for us the first 30 years of church history. And we mentioned before that a better title for this book would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through ordinary men and women of the church. God wants to use ordinary men and women, everyday kinds of people, people just like you and I. Paul confirms this writing to the church in Corinth. He says, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31, For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And you can look around and, and see just in the congregation that that's true. He goes on and says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and things which were, uh, which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. But him you are in 
But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God chooses ordinary people. And oftentimes, it's people that we ourselves wouldn't choose. And in doing so, God receives not only all the glory, but he actually receives greater glory. Last week, we saw in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, God using Peter and John. They were just ordinary fishermen by trade. Nobody's really in the world eyes. Uh, just a couple of guys who were partners in a fishing business. And last week, we also made note of six traits, six characteristics of uh, the men and women, for that matter, whom God uses greatly. And just, uh, just to review some of those things that we've covered, the first thing that we noticed was that they were men committed to prayer and devotion. In verse 1, we see Peter and John going to the temple to pray. They're going to seek the Lord. They're, they're uh, you know, men of prayer and devotion. Seeking the Lord was a priority in their lives. The second thing we noticed was that they were men who were sensitive to the Holy Spirit, verses 3 and 4. They were going to the temple to pray when they saw this lame man in need. And again, they were probably the leaders of the prayer meeting. Uh, you know, the church was meeting in, in those early days there in the temple courtyards, different areas. And so they were probably leaders of this prayer meeting. And they weren't in such a hurry that the Holy Spirit wasn't able to interrupt their plans and change their itinerary, right? They were willing to see if God maybe wanted to do something amazing for this man who was asking them for a handout. Now, they had no idea what God wanted to do. But, you know, they gave him an opportunity to do something if he wanted to. Busyness, as we noted, is a terrible enemy of the things that God wants to do in and through us. You might remember in John chapter 4, we see Jesus uh, going through Samaria. And in John 4, verse 6, right, it says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus has been on this long journey. He's, he's tired. He's weary. It's been a long day of traveling when he meets the Samaritan woman. And after spending some time with that woman at the well, the disciples came to him and urged Jesus to eat something. And Jesus said to them, John 4, 34 and 35, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Uh, I lost my place. Do not say there are still four months and then comes a harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white with harvest. I mean, we live in a target-rich environment, right? We don't need to wonder who needs Jesus in our neighborhoods, who needs Jesus in our workplaces or in the places we, we frequent, like the grocery store or the post office. You know, we don't need to wonder who needs Jesus because everyone, everywhere needs Jesus. And Jesus wants us to be sensitive to his spirit. He wants us to be flexible. He doesn't want us to be so busy about our business that we miss out on opportunities to impact the lives of others for his glory. The third thing we notice in verses 6 and 7, we saw Peter and John were men of boldness. You know, Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. One of my favorite verses, Daniel 11.32, it says, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. You know, Gail shared a verse with me the other day. It was Psalm 138.3, and it's this. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. I mean, that's my prayer for us as a church, is that we would know our God, that we would draw ever closer to Jesus, that he would give us great boldness to carry out great exploits in his name for his glory. But boldness works together with faith. And that's something that we need to understand, right? I can have faith that God can, 
But then I need to step out in faith. And it's then when I step out in faith, faith that I often discover that God will, right? That he will do the very thing he's given me the faith to, to see him do. And it's so very exciting. It's so wonderful to be used by God, to be part of what God wants to do. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, we are God's fellow workers, right? God wants to use each of us to impact the lives of others for eternity. But sometimes I think without us, he can't. Maybe it's just that he won't. Because he's chosen to get the message of his love and forgiveness. He's chosen to get the message of the cross out to the world, right? Through his followers. So without us, how is it going to happen? God, give us boldness that we would carry that message to this dark and dying world. The fourth thing we notice, not only were Peter and John men of boldness, but they were men of authority. In verse 6, it says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter and John, they were given authority and they understood it. They understood that there's power in the name of Jesus. Personally, I don't think I fully understand that, but I know there is tremendous power in the name of Jesus. So I pray and I preach salvation in the name of Jesus. I reach out in love to help others in the name of Jesus. And I believe with all my heart, what comes with the authority given to us as his disciples is his presence. Right? He's always going to be with us, uh, even to the ends of the earth. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that at the very name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I know that with all the authority of the Bible and all the authority of God in heaven, when I pray with someone to receive Christ as their Savior, that I can assure them that God indeed has heard the, their prayer, has forgiven them and cleansed them of all of their sins. And he's delivered them from the power of darkness and conveyed them into a kingdom, uh, uh, the kingdom of uh, the son of his love, adopting them as children of the king, that they may be in heaven with him when he comes again for his church. The fifth characteristic that we notice in Peter and John was that they were men of faith. They had no power in and of themselves, right? And just like them, we also have no power, humanly speaking, to uh, make an eternal difference in the life of anyone. But you know what? What we do have is Jesus, right? And again, what God has called us to do only happens when it, we couple it with faith, when we put it together with faith. Right? God uses people who step out in faith, and he wants to use you. Right? But it's going to require get, stepping out of our comfort zone. It's going to require faith. You know, one of my really close friends in Oregon, he said, I'll never forget, he said, the fruit is out on the limb. Right? It's not always comfortable to climb out on that limb, but that's where the fruit is. The sixth thing we notice about Peter and John is that they were men of humility, verse 12 through 16. If you want to be used greatly by God, you need to be humble. We need to be humble. God is not willing to share his glory with anyone. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Isaiah 48, 11, the Lord says, For my own sake... For my own sake, I will do it. And I will not give my glory to another. If you and I can keep from touching God's glory, keep our fingerprints off God's glory, if we're committed to giving all the glory to the Lord, then he will use us in unbelievable and unimaginable ways. So let's continue our study in Acts chapter 3. Uh, starting, we'll pick it up again in verse 10. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, 
He responded to the people. Now, we see here the seventh characteristic or trait uh, in Peter and John is that Peter responds to the people. Peter begins to see a few people uh, moving towards him as this lame man is healed. It started out just being a few, but in just a short bit of time, more and more begin to run to him. And before he knows it, there's thousands of people all around him. And when Peter saw what was happening, he responded to the people, right? He saw an opportunity. Colossians 4, 5, Paul encourages us to walk towards walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now, the New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity, right? And that's what we see Peter doing here. Peter sees an opportunity and he's going to respond. He's going to make the most of this opportunity and preach Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and very, very importantly, he preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We cannot, we must not forget to speak of the resurrection when we're sharing Christ with other people. And the reason why is that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that he is the son of God as he claimed to be and that his sacrifice for sin was acceptable before the father. Had it not been acceptable to the father, he just wouldn't have raised him from the dead. Now, Peter responds seeing this opportunity and says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Right? They marveled because what happened to the lame man happened suddenly. It was completely unexpected, out of the blue. It was out of left field, right? It was undeniable and it was unexplainable. Much like when, what happened to you when you met Jesus. I mean, it's just unexplainable change in your life. Undeniable, out of left field. Nobody expected it. Peter says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as Though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. Peter says, why are you looking at us? What happened here has nothing to do with us. And again, what we see here is Peter's, Peter and John's humility. They were not willing to take credit for what the Holy Spirit had done. You know, sadly, I think in Christian culture today, people whom God has worked through, many people that God has worked through, give the impression that somehow it is uh, their godliness that uh, accounts for this, this work. And I pray that we would never be like that here at Calvary Chapel, Truckee. Peter goes on to give them a biblical explanation, uh, explanation for what has occurred. Verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And as we continue to point out the characteristics of the people that God uses mightily, it's here again that we see God uses men and women, for that matter, who are knowledgeable in the word, right? It's a repeated theme throughout the Bible. And I, I would like to lovingly challenge you, if I may. I would, I would like to, to challenge you here. If you're here this morning and you're not well-versed in the Bible, that's okay. You know, that's okay. But now just take steps to become better acquainted with the Word. There's no condemnation. If you're hearing condemnation, you're not hearing my heart, right? It's just what needs to take place. If you want to see God do great things in and through your life, become knowledgeable about the Word. I believe we need to know the Word of God in order that we might be able to witness to people, right? To be able to explain the current events that are happening all around us, you know, the things that we're seeing in the news and how they fit into biblical prophecy, right? We need to know the Word of God in order to tell people why it's important to repent of their sins, especially in light of the times that we're living in. Time is short. 
right? We need to know the word of God in order to explain the changes that take place in the lives of people who give their lives to Jesus. We need to know the word of God in order to explain the miracles, right? That we experience on a daily basis. God's faithful provision for us, especially in times of need, right? His, his, his joy that we experience as we walk in Christ doesn't mean that we don't face hardships or, or trials or anything like that. But there's a joy in Jesus when we're going through these things. Peter says in his first letter, 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give um, a defense. In other words, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Right? I believe very strongly that God wants to work through us even more than we want him to work through us. He wants to work through you far more than, than you want him to work through you. And my advice to everyone is, if you desire for God to work through you, prepare yourself in order that he can work through you. Peter says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Peter is reminding these people now that are there on the Temple Mount. He's reminding them of the history that they have with God, right? They have a history filled with God doing great things, amazing things, saving Israel through Joseph being sent to Egypt uh, before they went into the nation of Egypt. Then delivering Israel from Egypt, right? Parting the Red Sea. 40 years of provision in the desert. You know, the manna coming from heaven. The water uh, flowing from the rock. A pillar of fire by night. A cloud by day. Leading them through the desert. God delivering the nation. God delivering the people of Israel. When facing an overwhelming enemy. It happened many times. You know, God used Gideon and 300 men to deliver the nation from the Midianites. God used Gideon's band of 300 men to defeat a Midianite army of 135,000 men. That's 450 to 1 odds, right? God sent to Israel prophets like Elijah and Elisha, men that God did amazing miracles through, many miracles through, God saved his people from Haman through Esther, right? Peter is basically saying, how is it possible that you could be marveling at this given your history with God? And I think the lesson for us is this, given our history with God and the many, many wonderful things he has done in our lives, I don't really see that God has done Great things in my life, Gary, you know? I mean, to be honest, I haven't seen God do much in my life at all. What about salvation and the forgiveness of sins? God became flesh and lived amongst, amongst us. Endured the cross in order that you might be saved. Our greatest need, man's greatest need was God's greatest deed. And if that's all the history we have with God, you know, if, which happens, by the way, to be the great, greatest demonstration of love ever expressed towards us. But if that's all the history we have of God, we should expect him to do great things in our lives because he is a great God. And we should understand being a great God, he can only do great things. We need to learn to look at the circumstances that surround us through God's power. Right Through his ability to save and care for us. Through his ability to move mountains and close doors. right? We need to see things with eyes of faith. In light of his great love and power. Instead of looking at God through our circumstances. And I think that's one of the gravest mistakes that many Christians make. You know, it's one of the gravest mistakes that we may make. If we look at God through our circumstances. Well, verse 13. Then Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, 
whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. As we continue to look at the characteristics of the people whom God uses, we see the next one right here, the eighth one, right? God uses people who will point others to Jesus Christ. And that's what we see Peter doing here. Not only does Peter deflect all the glory to God, he points the people to the very heart of God. He points the people to the center of the Trinity, to Jesus Christ, to the Son of God, right? And I think it's interesting to also note all the names that Peter uses when referring to Jesus Christ. The first one we see here in verse 13, he calls him his servant Jesus. And that's who Jesus is, right? Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus emptied himself of all uh, his glory and came to earth as a servant. Verse 14, but you denied the Holy One. This is another name that Peter uh, uses speaking of Jesus. The title Holy One is an Old Testament title of God. Holy, holy, holy is what Isaiah heard the seraphim cry to the one who was sitting on the throne whose train filled the temple, right? And the implication here is that Jesus is God, the very one who sits upon the throne. Verse 14, he says, you denied the holy one and the just. The word just here could also be translated righteous. Jesus is the righteous one. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As our substitutionary sacrifice, Jesus took our sins and gave us his righteousness. It was a, it was a him for me trade. And, and, and it was a good trade is the way I see it. He took my sin and I received his righteousness. Peter says, you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You'll remember that that murderer that they, re they requested to be set free was Barabbas. Do you recall what Barabbas' name means? Do you recall? Yeah, Barabbas, it means uh, son of the father. Bar, son of Abbas, Abba, father, right? And it just adds another layer to the prophetic picture where the innocent son of the father, right? Jesus, the innocent son of the father, Jesus takes the place of Barabbas, the guilty son of the father. And as a result, Barabbas, who is set free, doesn't now face the judgment that he deserves. Verse 13, uh, verse 14, I'm sorry. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Here's another name that Jesus uses for, uh, uh, Peter uses for Jesus. This title, the Prince of Life, can also be translated to mean the source of life, right? And we understand that it's in the name of Jesus, the prince of life, that we find real life because he's the source of life. True life is only found in Jesus. In Isaiah 9, every Christmas, you get the Christmas card, Isaiah 9, 6, where Jesus is called the prince of peace, right? He's the source of peace. It's through Jesus uh, Paul tells us in Romans is that we have peace with God. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that Jesus is our feast, uh, peace. Verse 15, and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And again, it's here Peter preaches the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I'll just throw this out for you. It's a trivia question for you. But, uh, who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, the easy answer is God raised him from the dead. We read it right here, right? But Jesus said, destroy this temple. Speaking of his body, he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. 
He went on to say, I lay down my life, right? Uh, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Jesus said that he had the power to raise himself from the dead. And yet Peter says in his first epistle uh, that it was the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So what we learn through these verses and many other verses as we put them together is that the Trinity was at work in the resurrection. Well, Peter preaches the resurrection of Jesus here. Peter tells them with great boldness, and we should remember this is occurring in the temple courtyards, right? It's very likely that the, the very scribes and Pharisees, you know, the chief priests, the very men who delivered Jesus up to the Roman people, to the Roman government, to be crucified. It's very likely they're in the crowd right now. In fact, it's very possible that some of the Roman soldiers that carried out the crucifixion of Jesus are in that crowd. Peter very boldly lays the blame of Jesus' crucifixion squarely on their shoulders. Peter says, you're responsible for crucifying Jesus. But God raised them from the dead. Verse 16 and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The ninth characteristic we see here in the people that God uses is that they minister in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the name above all other names. And faith in his name releases power that changes lives. Right? When we pray in the name of Jesus, when we minister to others in the name of Jesus, power is released. Mountains are moved. You know, uh, hard hearts are softened. The hopeless receive hope. The weak become strong. The blind receive strength. And those who are dead in their sins and trespasses are forgiven and given new life. The name of Jesus is unlike all other names. Right? There's power in the name of Jesus. And that name brings authority. And that name brings liberty to those who are captives. Right? The people that God uses mightily are those who pray and minister. Those who exercise faith in the name of Jesus. Verse 16. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given this lame man this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And again, here we see the humility of, of Peter. He says, it has nothing to do with me, guys. Right? Even the faith that I have in the name of Jesus, it even comes from the Lord. He gave it to me. Listen, Calvary Chapel Truckee, God is willing to do great things through you to reach this town. And if you're willing, God will give you the faith needed to be used mightily. God is willing to give each of us great faith if we'll just ask him for it and then trust him to give it to us and then boldly step out to use that faith that he's given us, followed by giving him all the glory. Verse 17, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. And we want to notice a couple of things here, right? We want to see the love that Peter has for these people. He speaks the truth to them. You're the ones that killed the prince of life. But he speaks the truth to them in love. He calls them brethren. Peter knows something about ignorance and denying the Lord, right? And Peter exercises love and compassion as he tells them that they're the ones who are guilty of crucifying Jesus, right? We need to speak the truth in love when we're sharing Christ with other people. You know, we can't be afraid to call sin, sin, but it needs to be done lovingly. 
Because truth without love is harsh and abusive. It's abrasive. And it can even be destructive. Love without truth is just hypocrisy, right? Truth spoken in love with a compassionate heart towards others allows the Holy Spirit to work, revealing to them their need for a Savior. Peter says, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Where do you think Peter got this idea that they did it in ignorance? Where do you think that comes from? Well, I think as you think of it, you come to the conclusion that Peter, Peter either heard it himself or John, who was present at the cross, told Peter that Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is what Peter is referring to here when he says, I know that you did it in ignorance when you crucified Jesus. Verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. We see in this verse another name that Peter ascribes to Jesus, and that is the Christ. Uh, in other words, the Messiah. Peter is declaring to the Jewish people present that day that Jesus is the long-awaited promised Messiah. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. What Peter is telling them here is even though they crucified the Messiah, God's plan has not been derailed or thwarted. Right? Everything that happened to Jesus was foretold by the prophets. Isaiah said that the Messiah would be wounded for our transgression. He would be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. David said that the hands and the feet of the Messiah would be pierced. His side being pierced. Thieves crucified next to him, one on his right, one on his left. Even the words that the Messiah would cry out from the cross, even the words that the mockers present at the cross would say, were, they were all prophesied. All the suffering of the Messiah went through. All the suffering that Jesus would endure on your behalf. It was all prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. And it was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Even this lame man leaping and jumping and praising God like a deer. He's leaping around like a deer was a fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 35. What a reminder this should be to all of us. If God says it, it's going to come to pass. He's true to his word. Every promise he has ever made to you. You know, every promise he's ever made to me. It's all going to come to pass just as he has said. He says, I know my thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That's, that's our destiny, a future and a hope. That's God's plan for us. And there's nothing that can or will keep God from accomplishing his plans for you. Right? Do you fully comprehend that? Do you fully comprehend that this morning? God is working things together for your good. Whether you, whether you see it or not, whether you know it or not. Right? And if you're hearing nothing else this morning, dear Christian, leave here with this understanding. God is working in your life. That which you will see and give him glory for all eternity, right? If you don't grow weary in doing well, doing good. And now in verse 19, Peter gives an exhortation. And this exhortation is a call to repentance. He says, verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter says, in light of all this information regarding the Messiah, it requires a response from you, right? The gospel requires a response from everyone who hears it, right? No response or indifference to it. It actually is a response, right? It's rejection. 
If a person wants to receive forgiveness for their sins, they must repent. A person must turn from their sins and turn towards Jesus. And if they will, whoever will do that, right? It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done or, or where they've been. If they'll repent of their sins and turn to Christ, if they'll confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. If they'll believe in their hearts that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved. Their sins will be blotted out. They'll be washed. They'll be cleansed. They'll be forgiven. And they'll become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we have the authority, the God-given authority, given to each one of us to assure them that that's the case when they pray and receive Jesus Christ. Peter calls them to action saying, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that, or could be translated, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, I, I had hoped to finish this chapter this morning, but we're going to stop here this morning. We'll pick it up uh, next week, Lord willing. It's kind of a tough chapter to break it up, but I'd like to close here this morning with just a few things. And so maybe you can just close your Bibles and and just give me your attention just for a few more minutes. Contextually, Peter is speaking of refreshing that will come upon the nation of Israel when they repent and turn to the Lord. But there's a refreshing that comes into our lives when we repent. Right? There's a refreshing, a sense of renewal, you know, of restoration and rejoicing. And I, and I think that there's a fair number of Christians that read this verse and they think to themselves, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I like to experience times of refreshing, but and I just wonder if it's even possible. You know, because it's not what I'm feeling right now. I'd really like to speak from my heart to you this morning if you feel something like that. I really feel that the Lord wants to speak to some of you this morning from this verse. And he's laid this He's laid this on my heart many times in this past week. You know, I believe that this is God's word for us. You know, if you're here this morning and you're feeling dry, you're feeling dry or discouraged or even depressed, I really think the Lord wants to minister to you specifically this morning. If you're feeling distant from the Lord, discouraged, or, or as I said, depressed, Today can be a time of refreshing for you. Today you can receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 7, 37 and 38, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If your walk isn't where it should be and you're feeling dry, if your walk isn't where you want it to be and you're thirsting for more, run to the Lord this morning. If you're feeling distant, dry, or detached from Jesus, you know, it's been my experience that that occurs because I've allowed something into my life that pushes Jesus out. I've allowed something to creep in that pushes him out. I've embraced some compromise, some sin, or there's some affection that is vying for my attention and I've allowed it to worm its way into my life, consuming my attention and pushing God into a secondary position in my life. You know, it's never the case that the Lord has moved away from me. It's always the case that I've allowed my heart to drift. And it's me that has moved away from him. And I've stopped trusting and believing in God. You know, I've stopped trusting and believing in his goodness. I've stopped reading my Bible. And I've stopped praying. Or I'm just praying for the things I want and not asking the Lord for his will in my life. I've stopped putting the Lord first. I've stopped believing him. Not believing in him. Uh, I've just stopped believing him. Right? And before I know it, I just begin to question if God even cares. You know, I'm not hearing the Lord or getting anything out of the Bible when I read it. Um, 
you know, uh, I'm not hearing the Lord speak to my heart when I, when I go to prayer. And I just begin to wonder if prayer is even worth the effort. I mean, why should I bother? It doesn't do any good. I'm trying, but it doesn't seem to be working. And I begin to question if God even hears my prayers. If he does, it doesn't seem like he's listening when I pray. And I begin to question if he even answers prayer. If he's really all that good. Maybe everybody else has it right and I'm being fooled. If that is even remotely a description of how you may be feeling this morning, I think God wants to speak to you. You know, he'd have you understand that the problem is not him. The problem is that you've replaced him. And he's not willing to compete for your love and affection. He wants and he deserves your whole heart. Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus, the first seven verses of, of uh, Revelation chapter 2, and he said to the church, he says, hey, I see where you're at. I see what you're doing. You know, you're holding fast to good doctrine. You're working hard. You know, you're doing lots of stuff, not really engaged in, in outright sin or immorality. You know, you're doing what you're doing. It, it, none of it is bad in and of itself. But the problem is that you've allowed yourself to drift and you've left your first love. And Jesus said to the church, remember how it was when, when you first came to me? And I think that's what he would say to each one that's feeling dry and distant today. Remember how it was when you first came to me? He said to the church in Ephesus, remember how it was and repent. Repent from allowing whatever it is to come between us. Remember how it was when you were first in love with me? Do those things again. And if you're feeling distant, dry, and detached from Jesus, I believe he would say to you this morning, remember how it once was. And now just humble your heart and repent. Let me be the Lord of your life again. You know, redo those things you used to do when, when we were walking so close together so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, God desires so very much to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to refresh you, to restore you, and to draw you close again. But it has to be on his terms, right? I can't dictate the terms. David felt distant from the Lord. He felt dry. He even said, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. But then he repented. And he prayed, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me. And I love this description of the Lord. He says, Uphold me with your generous spirit. Before he cried out to the Lord, he was feeling dry and parched, distant. After he cried out to the, the Lord, repenting uh, of those things that he had allowed to creep into his life, taking the place of God, he was revived. And he experienced refreshing and joy. His joy was restored. And he said, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy. All you upright in heart. Those are the words of a man restored. If you're here this morning and, and you don't feel any joy in your relationship with the Lord. You might say, I, I'm, not, I'm not sensing the Lord at all. You know, I've asked to be filled with his Holy Spirit and nothing seems to happen. Right? Maybe the problem is you don't need to be filled. Maybe what you need is to repent. Repent of dividing your heart between the Lord and some other thing. You know, a carnal Christian is just someone who says they're a Christian, but they're not praying. You know, they're not reading their word. They're not believing God or trusting in him to work in their life. They're not surrendering their whole heart, life, and soul to Jesus. They're holding back a little bit, right? A little bit in reserve, not giving themselves to God in full measure. And they're trying to dictate the terms of their relationship with him. In a word, a carnal Christian is guilty of unbelief. And it's a problem. I'm not 
condemning anyone. Again, if you're hearing condemnation from me, you're not hearing my heart. I'm not judging anyone. I love you, and I want to see you charging again for Jesus. If you're dry and distant and longing for restored joy, God wants to send times of refreshing to you. Rejoicing your soul, pouring out his favor and his blessing upon you. Times of refreshing, renewal and restoration. It's God's heart for his people to send times of refreshing to those who he loves deeply. And it's his heart for you this morning. Put the Lord first in your life. He's worthy of the preeminent spot in your life. Give him your heart in its entirety and put him first in all things. And he'll bless you beyond your expectations. And if you don't believe me, hey, put him to the test. You'll come back to me and you'll say, Gary, you know, I, I confess I, I didn't believe you. But when I, I put the Lord first, he lavished his blessing upon my life. You were right, Gary. And you know, I'll say to you very lovingly, I told you so. That's the truth. The lame man at the beautiful gate, he wanted something. But God wanted to give him something much greater. And the same is true for you and I. But it takes putting Jesus first. Before all other affections and all other endeavors, it's important to understand, again, it doesn't matter where, what you've done or where you've been or who you are. We can turn around today and ask the Lord to bless us and to forgive us, right? And God will open his arms and receive us, restore us, refresh us. You know, it's one of the primary messages found throughout the Bible, right? Because that's God's heart. He's a blessing God who deeply desires close, intimate fellowship with you. And you know what? There's nothing better than that fellowship with him. There, there, there's nothing greater. There's nothing more valuable that we'll ever experience in this life. Nothing more refreshing for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that we find in your word the revelation of your heart. Lord, how you desire that close, intimate relationship with us. And Lord, I just pray for every one of my brothers and sisters that are here this morning or watching online that are feeling dry, are feeling distant. I pray you speak to their heart right now. I pray that you'd minister to them. I pray that they would uh, see how they've allowed things to enter into their life, to creep in, to push you out from that spot that you so rightfully deserve. Lord, and you do deserve the preeminent spot in our life because you loved us enough to pay our penalty. You went to the cross. You took our sins. You gave us your righteousness. We are forgiven. Lord, we owe you our life. We owe you everything. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who aren't feeling your nearness, aren't feeling your closeness, Lord, would you minister to them even now? Would you just draw them to yourself even now? Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.